This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Hot Four podcast yet again. Three weeks in, poop, poop, starting something to go on. Um, I've got a great interview lined up today, which I did earlier in the summer this year. And it's just taken a little bit longer to get this podcast out than I'd hoped. But a lot's hop- ha- hoppened, a lot has happened in that time. And um, the person that I'm interviewing today has started a, a multi-million pound brewery, has gone broke, and then sort of like a phoenix from the flames, rose from the ashes, and then unfortunately the, the taproom side of that venture has had to shut down again, and then now they're reshaping the business, so it's just the brewing side at the minute. Now I am talking, of course, about Sentinel Brewing Company based in Sheffield. Um, Sentinel were in operation since April 2016, and they gained a reputation for really good beer and great food and for their tap room, which is not far from uh, Bramall Lane, Sheffield United football ground. Um, and they won a host of awards for their beers. But unfortunately, in 2017, they had to enter a company voluntary arrangement with their creditors, which was pretty well documented at the time in all the local and regional newspapers. Um, but out of that... Um, like a phoenix from the flames, uh, Sentinel returned and they separated their business from uh, Sentinel Brewing Company with sort of the brewing side of it and Sentinel Brew Houses, which is going to run the bar and restaurant side of it. So when I did this interview with Alex, all that was back on track and going according to plan. But unfortunately, this year, the directors decided to liquidate Sentinel Brew Houses and just focus on the brewery side of it. So I did wrestle a little bit as to should I put this interview out with Alex or not. Um, but actually, you know, he's a, he's a master brewer and he's got a shed load of experience all the way back to uh, brewing bass. And uh, speaking of bass, I'm sure you've probably read some of Pete Brown's uh, blogs recently about AB InBev and the way they are advertising bass as imported pale ale and that it's returning to the UK, which is complete and utter bullshit because it is made in the UK and it's under license to Marston's so AB and Bev are talking shite again anyway that aside Alex has got so much to say and a lot of knowledge and um, he talks about the the sort of first time round about the voluntary creditors agreement and what that's like because actually um, this it's been documented fairly recently about various different breweries closing probably the most notable of late being uh, mad hatter in liverpool um which came a little bit out of the blue i thought um which and, it, and it's really sad because i always thought they did really really good beers and were quite innovative and i, lo- I love their branding it's so quirky it's so different so fun um so unfortunately it happens um breweries go under for all kinds of reasons um sometimes the figures just don't stack up sometimes it's i mean it's hard selling beer and sometimes we just don't get the customers we need or sometimes uh, not in this case but sometimes you, you might have somebody who's passionate about brewing but doesn't have much business acumen and at the end of the day it is a commercial venture that you're entering into 
So obviously Alex shares his experience about brewing, about um, being in the beer industry and about um, brewing lagers as well. And I'm just really excited about this interview. Um, it was great for Alex to invite me along to chat to him. And I, I got to do a collaboration with him and some other guys in Sheffield for uh, a charity beer that we did with Heist Craft. So I took that opportunity and took my microphone and got this interview. So this is my interview with Alex Barlow from Sentinel Brewing Company. Today on the podcast, I'm here at Sentinel Brewing Co, joined by Master Brewer Alex Barlow. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Alex. Are you all right? Yeah, very good, thanks. Good. Yeah. I'm always amazed when I come here how unbelievably shiny your brew kit is. <laughs> I, pretty, I should imagine everyone says that to you. Well, the, the intention is, is that we've got a lot of people looking at it, so you want to keep it clean. Right, where, where was it made? Uh, it was made uh, at SK in Slovenia, okay. um, who I'd selected as... as you know, so like the best combination of uh, good effective kit that doesn't take up a huge amount of space. Yeah. Because we wanted to get, you know, as, as big a volume we could into a smaller, mm. a smaller space, um, it being alongside the bar. Um, but though it was made in Slovenia, it's actually made from Sheffield sheet steel. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> they buy, they buy, the, big they buy their steel from Utakumpu, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> amazing. that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, well, I was... Well, there was no way I wasn't going to buy it or something when I found right. that out. I think my envy of your brew kit has just gone up, up there, <laughs> even more so. Um, I mean, tell us a bit, for our listeners who don't know you, tell us a bit about who you are, your background, why you started Sentinel. Um, well, I've been around in brewing for a long time. I mean, effectively, every job I've ever done has been in the beer business. So when I was 17, I walked into my local pub and asked for a job. Um, and luckily, they gave me one. Uh, couldn't be pulling pints, so I was, you know, sort of taking deliveries and cleaning beer lines and stocking shelves and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I just got a taste for it, you know, and I, I got an early taste for beer because, you know, when you're cleaning beer lines and mm. you pull the water out and you pull the beer back through and you've got to taste it to make sure it's not yeah, a beer yeah. water wicks. And, so, and we sort of like ran along this line of beers. It was a, it was a, a bass managed pub um, and, uh, and a training house. And... Yeah, they had, they had a good range of beers, you know, and you know, they had uh, they had stones uh, on cask and draft bass on cask, and I love both of those. Um, and they had yeah, you know, sort of like tennis extra lager, which you know, sort of like older people might remember, mm. but really enjoyed that. We had Vorsteiner on draft, uh, really nice imported German lager. So I got I got a taste for those beers, um, you know, and. Uh, and enjoyed working there, and so I worked in bars when I went to, to university, and then I joined Bass as a as a trainee brewer straight from university. So what what sort of year is this? When when is this? Oh, probably before you were born. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I joined I joined Bass in uh, in '87. Right. So just just explain for our listeners um, what you can see in the brewery. In the brew house. Okay, so so here, I mean, the, the concept is that you walk through the front door, uh, you, you've got the bar to your left-hand side, and if you stand in the middle of the bar, you can see from our grain floor to the beer pulling out the glass, literally a grain-to-glass journey mm. in your eye line. Um, so the whole the whole brewing process is is, is visible in front of you. Um, uh, so every, literally everything's on show. Uh, even behind the bar, you know, we've got uh, we've got a cellar there for the cast beers and the uh, and, and our own and guest uh, keg beers, and, and there's the three windows into that as yeah. well. So so literally the whole the whole process is on show, and, and so it's it was 
I really started Sentinel with with a, a vision of it being a place to, to engage people with beer, mm. um, uh, and not just not just coming for a beer, but also you know beer in the brewing process, yeah. and you know being able to, to to ask questions and do brewery tours and serve beer and food. You know, so so it was all about you know giving people great beer beer experiences. Yeah. So you, even even if you're just coming for a, for a, for a bite to eat and you know you weren't having a beer. Yeah, maybe maybe it's lunchtime, or maybe you fancy a glass of wine, or a, or, a, or or something else to drink. Um, but the menu is, has got um, has got dishes which have beer and beer ingredients in them, oh, and are paired with the beers yeah. and that sort of thing. So it, it was it was very much a, you know sort of a, a beer beer themed yeah. uh, venue. And that's that's what I wanted to do. Because mm. I'm intrigued. Uh, two things spring to mind. I'm intrigued how you say when you walk through the door, you could see where all the sort of grain goes in, um, you know, so from field to glass. When, because this used to be a carpet <coughs> warehouse, didn't it? Yeah. That, that's right, yeah. isn't it? So obviously you stripped the entire thing yeah. and built it in yeah. that way. How did you think all that through? Did you have help from contractors to help you think how about, because I think a lot of people wouldn't think about what they're looking at, they just be like, oh, I just want that there and that there and that there. But obviously it sounds like it's all been very thought through. Uh, it, it had been incredibly thought through and actually this was the, f- I mean, I had had the concept for quite a while in, in development um, and while I was funding it, because basically, you know, I didn't, I didn't have, have significant money of my own. I had a consulting business, um, you know, but not enough money to put a project like this together. Mm. So I had to get, you know, backing for the project. So I had, I spent a lot of time doing that and you know if you can get people to buy into an idea that's great but you've got to have you know a physical location yeah. i looked at four locations before this mm-hmm. so I, I thought and rethought the plan a number of times right um uh, and then you know sort of like you look at what the what the virtues are of the space and obviously the great thing with this was as a carpet showroom actually the place they were only using effectively half of it because all of the roof space was void they, they, they had suspended right. ceiling oh. And we and we literally rip the whole thing out. So you've got all all that, and, and, it, and it feels a bit like walking into a, almost like a cathedral. It's like it's like great and, and open and quite airy, which which in, in a lot of respects is nice. Um, uh, can be quite echoey, but it does actually work quite well for music as well. And yeah. We had uh, one of the more bizarre things was was we had a, we had an opera performance in here, and the and the, the sound was fantastic. I can imagine, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you get things right. The venue can work for all sorts of things. But yeah, I mean, I, I looked at it and said, okay, well, what, what's existing in terms of? I mean, where, where we're sitting now uh, was essentially their office. Um, we so we took the part of that, actually knocked some walls down and extended them out. So so we we, we created this this meeting mm-hmm. room um, and and you know event room, made it a bit bigger than the original office was. Like I said, the, the cellar space was a domestic kitchen. That's what where they, you know, had their fridge yeah, and yeah. oven and all that sort of stuff. So, so we so we we remade that, you know. But we we used the space that we had available, and it was it was just a question of okay, well, how how can we use it as effectively as possible to to wrap a, a brewery and a bar and mm-hmm. a restaurant and a kitchen and all the stuff you need to do like toilets and storage. And yeah. Everything. How do you how do you basically corral that all into into one space? But make it look effective. Yeah, well, I think you did um, a great job. So, so I had I had a, a designer who who really understood um, what I wanted to achieve. Um, uh, Sally, she was she was excellent, um, and basically just she and I worked on the concept. Fantastic. And pulled it all together. Yeah, great. Um, 
My, um, my second observation was, obviously in the United States, the tap room model like you've got here, where they serve food and drink and run essentially like a hospitality business around beer is, is the norm. How in the yeah. UK, although it's kind of like we're starting to catch up slightly, it's, it, there's leaps and bounds to go. Why do you think we're not seeing as many breweries set out like this one? Because surely the profit margins have got to be better here. Than it, it, it's great to be able to sell your own beer. And, yeah. and for, for me, that was, that was a fundamental. I mean, so many people said to me, uh, and I, I had a conversation this morning about, okay, well, you know, what could you have done differently, etc. And, and okay, it would have been a damn sight cheaper to do what most people do, which is find a bit of a, an industrial space and, and, and put you know, a cheap second-hand brew kit in there. It's a great way to start and, you know, learn your art and produce beers, get a reputation and then step onto yeah. something like this. And in hindsight, you know, I probably should have done something like that because, you know, it is very expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, um, that tripped us up. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to get this place started um, and frankly more money than any of us yeah. envisaged. I mean, a while ago I was talking to um, Jasper Cuppage from Camden Town Brewery and he, and he said, um, brewing's an expensive and capital-heavy industry. Yeah. And he said, I, I get your house beers in the hands of would-be customers so that you've got a guaranteed route to market when they become available and then hopefully your wage were better sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, and you touched earlier upon you had to raise money for it. So yeah. it's, it is, when I've looked into it, it's so unbelievably capital-hungry. Yeah. Um, where do you even start? If say, say somebody's got a great idea like you've had and they want to start their own brewery or their own beer business, that's going to require a lot of money, but they don't have deep pockets themselves, where do they start? Proof of concept, really. You've got, you've got to prove to people that you know, sort of like you've got a concept that, that's worth investing in. Mm. Um, you've got to have brewed some beers you know, that people think are good. Yep. Um, uh, so, you know, that, that element, of, I mean, I, ironically for me, I mean, I, I started, as I said before, with, with a big brewer, with Britain's biggest brewer, mm. um, and I, the first brewery I, <coughs> I actually worked in was a two million barrel a year brewery, it was right. a huge wow. brewery, and I worked in bigger breweries and significantly smaller breweries since, so effectively I've, I've gone sort of like down on, on, on the scale, <laughs> you know, and, and the first time I'd ever home brewed was when I was preparing the concept for this, you know, having a brewery in, 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 the, in the garden, in the shed, and, um, and actually brewing the, the, the pilot brews um, for this place. You know, so it's the first time I've brewed any, anything on that, on that sort of scale. But for a lot of people, that's the way they start. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, if you can, if you can you know, sort of kick out a good beer um, you know, as, as, a, as a home brewer, then, you know, it's like, okay, it's a starting point. Um, but you need you need so much more than that, yeah. you know, um, and and you've got to get people believing in you. And uh, there's lots of different models to do it, mm. you know. And I wouldn't I wouldn't say that any of them is more more right or more appropriate than anything else. It very much depends on your concept, your yeah. idea. Um, but the, again, the difficult thing is a very crowded market right now. Yeah, um, there's a lot of breweries out there. Mm. So if you're looking for potential angel investor, for example, you know, possibly somebody doesn't, somebody likes beer, but they're not brewers themselves, or they've not had a hand in the industry. What are you looking for in a, a financial partner who's going to bring stuff to the table themselves? Um, business side of things, business support. Again, that was a thing that it was really important to me. You know, I'm a career brewer. 
um, every, every job I've ever done has been in the, in the beer business. Different facets of the beer business, mm. but you know, always in beer. Um, you know, and and okay, I, I then worked as a consultant, but I was working, you know, with and for brewers. Yeah. Um, so people who, who who have you know broader business experience, that was that was you know important to me. Uh, people who've got something to bring to the party, yeah. as well as enthusiasm, as well as money. Yeah. <laughs> and I presume it's you just know. about making connections with people. Yeah, and and and, make, I mean, and the the investors that that, that we've got here, um, all from different backgrounds, all great guys. Um, Did you know them beforehand? Or? No, no. I mean, it was it was it was through the you know through the search process. Right. Um, you know, and some of it was uh, some of it was from you know Dragon's Den style pitch events. Right. Um, uh, and then some of it was was a little bit more organic than that, um, but yeah, I mean, I, if, you, if you look at it, who as, as a bloke likes beer, who doesn't want to have a, a steak yeah. in a brewery? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but you know, it's it's got to be it's got to be more professional than that, and, yeah. and, and a bit a bit less hobbyist, you know? Yeah, because um, it is a challenging market. Yeah. Now, obviously, um, around a year ago, some news broke out that sent along quite a lot of debt, got into some trouble, entered a voluntary creditors' agreement. <coughs> obviously, as a business owner, that's got to be tough. I mean, what, what was that like? <laughs> like the bottom dropping out of your world? Um, yeah, it was, it was really, really tough. Um, and, you know, it, It's one of those things. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a, a, a huge believer in, in 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 looking back. I prefer to look forward. Um, but if you don't learn the lessons of, of things that that you've done wrong, then you know, sort of like you're destined to fail long mm -hmm. term. So what there's, there's a number of things that that, that we uh, that we did wrong, and uh, you know, this was a very expensive project, a much more expensive project than than we'd envisaged. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as I said, you know, it's, it's, it's a very challenging market and we didn't, we didn't make as, as fast a start within it as, as we'd hoped. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we ran out of money. What did you learn about yourself and about business and the beer industry from that period? <laughs> Try as I might, I can't do everything. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I, th I think it, it really is important that, you know, yeah, that there, there are plenty of, plenty of breweries that are run by people you know pretty much as a one-man band yeah um, uh, and you know so I, I think you, there'll be there'll be things that, that that every individual is is strong at and then other things that they're less good at um, yeah but no one no one is a master of everything and mm. I'm certainly not um, uh, and on the business side and the numbers side you know that's where I needed you know extra help um, and uh, you know, I think yeah. I mean, it was it was a very a very ambitious project. This, you know, we didn't we didn't it didn't sort of like catch fire in the way we wanted it to. Yeah. But obviously, all, all credit to you, you. You still go in. We're still going. Yeah, uh, we've had to, you know, amend our business model. You know, a, a couple of times since, to be honest. Uh, and and it's still 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 doing that there's still you know twists and refinements and that sort of thing that we're mm. making to get it right because again as a, as a business I think you know you particularly in the, in the brewing industry whilst whilst what we what we all want to do as brewers is to brew a beer that that people really like mm. and want to drink and want to drink again and yeah. again and and as a brewer you know so like you, you like that because it's nice to to sort of like have that feeling of being stroked is like oh we, we really like that beer yeah um, but on the flip side of that 
there's also a, a, a customer mentality of, well, we, what's new? We want, we want to see the new stuff. You know, so it's like, yeah, and I know that beer's really good, but I've had it before, I want mm, something new. Absolutely. And, and that is, that's quite a difficult thing because it means you need, you, you know, so like you, you, you want a demand for regular beers, um, uh, the beers that people want to drink more often than not, mm. uh, but you also want to, to brew and for people to want different beers and yep. getting that balance. You know, there are some people who, who never brew the same beer twice, yep. mentioning no names, um, <laughs> and, and other people who don't really tend to do specials at all. Uh, and those are very extremely different models. Yeah. And trying to find somewhere that fits in the middle, you know, it can be, can be quite a challenge. That's a challenge I've certainly faced with the brewery um, in that that kind of more steadfast core range sort of model tends to lend itself more to uh, pub co's yeah. and people that might want a lunchtime pint they know what they're going to get every time. Whereas yeah. you sort of more craft beer bars, micropubs and all that, it's constantly new, 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 new. We want something new. They don't yeah. want to have the same thing ever again. Yeah. I mean, how as a brewer do you balance that out? I mean, I've got a phrase which is like, you've got to stick to your guns if you want to be a cowboy. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you can get pulled in all directions if you're not careful. And you sort mm -hmm. of say about tweaking your business plan and all the rest of it. How do you make sure you stick to your guns without locking yourself out of a particular market, mm. uh, but then not pandering to that particular market, if that makes sense? Well, you, you, I mean, the, 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 the phrases that people tend to use or the terminologies is like, you know, your core range. What's your core range? The beers that you're always going to have available. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the, the, the view that we, <coughs> that we started with, our core range was too wide. We've, we've had to slim it back down a bit. Mm. So um, how many have you got now? Um, well, again, it, our difficulty is that, is that we're not just cask, we're doing keg beers right. as well. And, so, uh, and, and not just ales, but, but lagers. Right. So, so our, our core range is, is now probably seven beers. Uh, but that's four ales on cask. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then a couple of lagers. And then the IPA, which is both cask and keg, but also, whilst it's core, it also rotates. So, so we always right. want an IPA available, yeah. but we rotate between whether it's British Hop, GB IPA, yeah. EU Hop to UIPA, Anti-IPA or US IPA. Yeah. And so, so those are on a constant cycle. Yeah. So, so whilst it's core, it's, it's kind of new consistently as well. changing. It's kind of yeah. cheeky. Yeah. So I, I noticed that with um, someone like the <coughs> Colonel in London, for example. Obviously, they, they just make different beers every time, yet... It's almost like their core range is you've got their, their pale ale, you yeah. know, or um, ex ale, export port. So, you know, you, you, you know what kind you're going to get, yeah. but you know it's going to be different. It's the same, yeah. with, I suppose, with someone like Cloudwater, you know, the double IPAs and the sort of small IPAs yeah. have been doing. They're, they're always different, but they kind of, you know, that's what they're going to sort of produce. So, it's, yeah. it's almost like a hybrid model that's yeah. kind of people starting yeah. to play out. Now, having a tap room of your own is obviously a huge advantage, um, but there are lots of brewers out there that don't have any outlets of their own, either by an on, you know, um, on-site shop or tap room or tasting room or even their own free houses. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of pricing challenges then, what's your view on setting an appropriate price for your beers when, so, so say you've got a, a landlord or a customer, it's got the pick of the bunch because you're saying it's a crowded market, and they, they're insisting that they can get a Firkin for £59 plus VAT, which yeah. might be significantly cheaper than you can sell it for. Like, how, how, as a brewer, do you counteract that if you haven't got your own tap room like you've got here? Uh, 
It's a real challenge. It, it, uh, I mean, I've already referred to the fact that it's a challenging market, um, more so than I than I thought. You know, when I was putting this together, mm -hmm. and, and again, I think that was probably one of the one of the pinch points in the business model. Uh, you know, the price that, that that some people are prepared to pay for the beer. Um, and, and, and I think, and I think that's that's the difficulty is that is that there are a lot of people who are prepared to sell beer that cheaply, and and some places that are, are relatively less discerning, and so you could have a locally produced better beer at sixty five pounds, but they're not prepared to spend over fifty nine. So what they get is 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 a you know sort of an, an arguably inferior mass produced beer, yeah, and and the customer gets less of a choice, you know, um, and and that's you know so fine. Mm. Ultimately, you pay your money, you take your choice. But, yep. but there are there are a lot of difficulties for uh, for small brewers in terms of access to market, yep. uh, and particularly people who are who are doing keg beer like we're doing now. Okay, it's changing. There are more and more places that have you know keg lines free and available. And if you be as good and you start developing a reputation, you can get on them. But it, it, it's still it's still the minority, you know. So like there's there's a greater ability to sell cask beer than yeah. there is keg beer, and you know we're we're designed to sell more keg beer, mm. um, you know, with the with the lagers, etc. Effectively, you're in competition with the big boys. Well, exactly. Um, um, I mean, I've I found this that it's. There's a lot, obviously a lot of places in somewhere like Sheffield that have got these little micropubs where they've got loads of keg lines and stuff and they're free to buy from whoever, but you can guarantee you'll go in and see some of the big craft brands in each one of them. Mm. And as a small local brewery, maybe you don't have the same reputation yet, you're growing and all the rest of it, it's very difficult to get on those keg lines yeah. because it's kind of like, well, a consumer will go in and be like, "Well, I know what that is, and I know they make very good beer, yeah. and they're going to—they're always going to kind of go for that one." And, and what, what you quite often get is—is is you'll go, "Oh, oh it's, it's like all of this is craft, but actually, when it comes to our lager, we've just—we've got a fairly bog standard lager." Yeah. And you go, "Well, you know, we we do a really good craft lager, you know, that's sort of like have a look yeah. at this, you know, and it's locally produced, it's mm -hmm. good quality, and so on and so forth." So. You know, it's it's trying to it's trying to knock those down, but again, it, it's uh, it's the pricing argument yeah. because our beer will not be as cheap as, yeah, you know, sort of like X, Y, Z brands. Exactly. Now, <coughs> I, want, I want to chat to you about lager because um, I was in Tesco the other day, and whenever I go in Tesco, I look up what range of beers they've got on sale just to get a handle on what's sort of been pumped through Tesco, and I've noticed that in the lager section, they start offering craft lager, quote unquote. Um, so you're starting to see more of those from a variety of brewers. Now, you've been brewing lagers for a while, um, and obviously, you know, lager accounts... Are you talking about craft lagers that have been bought out by, by big lager brewers? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't yeah. mention some of the names. Um, but, it, but there are sort of independent brewers, I've noticed, that are starting to make forays into, you know, making lagers. Yeah. Um, obviously, you, you've been doing it for a while. Why do you think lagers are so popular? Because evidently, it is very a very popular drink. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of beer drinkers will drink a macro brand of lager. Um, do you think a lot of brewers are missing a trick by not brewing them? What, are, and what sort of additional skills are required for people to enter in that world of lagering? Um. I mean, like I think it's like anything. It's experience, you know. And and, and if, if I mean, to a certain degree, yes, you've got to have the equipment. I mean, the you, you need enclosed tanks. And and the you know the thing for for, for brewing ales is is that traditionally they've been brewed in like open fermenters, etc. Yeah. Um, uh, and you you know whilst whilst you can 
ferment lager in open fermenters. When I first went to Star Brahman, they were they were fermenting in open squares. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're conditioning in in closed tanks, yeah. closed tanks and refrigeration, uh, and so it, it it requires that, and it requires more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of in terms of uh, you know the expertise of of you know, recipe de- development and that sort of thing, you know, if you if you can brew a good ale, you can probably brew a good lager. Right. Um, but you know, so sort of like lagers generally are more subtle. They're they're you know sort of like they're generally um, a bit more a bit more drinkable because the the yeast brings less to the party. So you've got a bit more reliance in terms of of malt and malt and hop character. Um, and you know the, the the lagers that are drunk in most volume, you know, tend to be relatively low in bitterness, yeah. you know, and, and not massively strong. Mm. Um, so again, it's it's that thing of it, it's it's trying to corral the desire to brew you know, great big flavoursome <laughs> IPAs and, and imperial stouts and that sort of thing, um, but actually brewing something that's a lot more subtle. But actually, you go. I could, I could have three pints of that, yes. four pints of that, yeah. you know, and, and keep going back to it. And, that, and that's, that's the thing with, with lagers, and particularly when we've been having you know, great weather like we have, you know, that's what people reach out for. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's trying, to, uh, trying to create something that's, that's, that's interesting in flavour, but still has that subtlety that, that goes hand in hand with drinkability. So what, what makes a good lager? Uh, what makes a good broth, good lager, um, just like what makes good ale, uh, a good good yeast and a good and a, and a good brewer corralling the recipes. Mm. For for me, it all, it, it all it all comes back to drinkability, whether it's lager or ale. Mm. Um, the the thing with Sentinel is is that I want all of our beers to be a beer, irrespective of what it is, whether it's a sour, whether it's uh, you know the double IPA, whatever. I want when when someone has finished their their their, their glass. To think, actually, you could have another of those. Yeah. You know, even if it's a really strong beer, you know, um, or or a beer that people think of as a punctuation beer, you go actually fancy another of those, and that's what I want is 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 a, is a drinkability, and and that is is one of the you know, key strengths in terms of lager brewing. Um, so what makes a good one? Well, I mean, just like anything else, pe- people like different beers. People like you know a variety and a choice. You know, so our. We've got two core lagers in our range, so we've got, we've got Pivo, the Czech Pils, and, yeah. and having, having brewed in Prague, um, I was never not going to do a, a, a Czech Pils. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love the beers over there, uh, and the, so this is, this is our tribute to, to that style of beer. Um, Czech Pils, in some ways, are, it's the lager equivalent of a really good pale ale. You know, it's it's got more malt character than you get with, with the, you know, the, more, the more continental and, and German influence. Lagers, so you know, a bit more amber in colour, a bit more malt character, a bit more richness, a um, little bit more body. So you know, sort of like slightly, uh, slightly higher level of, of attenuation, um, decent level of bitterness. You know, sort of like generally, you know, you're looking at, at 30 to 40 IBUs in terms of bitterness. So you have got a, a bit more of a, of a challenging bitterness mm. than than with the the, the continentals, um, and. Um, you know, yeah, and a good hop characteristic. So, so it, it's a style that I absolutely love for the same reason I love pale ales. Yeah, you know, because it actually lager-wise, it, it it's it's in that same sort of uh, that same sort of band. Um, and then the S one is is our version of you know sort of like the the, the more four percent. Um, so, so so you know less less coloured malt in there. Um, so paler in colour, you know, cleaner in flavour. Um, 
lower in bitterness. I still use three distinctive hops. We've got Admiral, um, Aurora, and an Amarillo in there. Um, three great hops. Yeah, yeah. All, all have you know, nice, subtle, but fruity sort of uh, characteristics, mm. uh, which are unusual in a lager, yeah. um, particularly around that strength. So you've got something that's, that's, really, that's really drinkable um, uh, and refreshing. Uh, but again, we use the, uh, the Czech Pilsner yeast, which is, gives a little bit more, more flavour character, uh, a bit more of a hint of, of, of sort of like that matched sulfur notes uh, than, than you tend to get with the, 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 the Weinstefen 3470, the German Pilsner yeast, which, which the vast majority of people use. Mm. Um, so it's got that little bit more character. Um, so a bit of everything, not too much of anything, is the, is the, is the watchword yeah. with that. And I've noticed you do a cop lager. Now, is, is that an official tie with Sheffield United, or is it? Uh, yeah, so so, so we uh, we approached Sheffield United and said, you know, sort of like, well, you know, we're we're actually on the same street as the as the cop yeah, end of their ground, and and so so for us it was a bit of a geographical imperative, and it was it was it was a bit of a bit of a difficulty being in Sheffield, you know, and you got you've got uh, two clubs in the city. Um, and we didn't want really to be seen to be aligning ourselves with one club, but equally, you know, sort of like, could we argue the same for, 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 for Wednesday? Not really. Um, so so we, we, we just approached United. It just yeah. seemed as, you know, as a sensible thing business-wise. Um, and they were, they were more than happy to work with us and let us use the badge and everything. So, uh, so thank you to them for that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a... It's a Definitely a popular drink with the fans. It goes, we sell a lot of it on match days, yeah. as you'd expect. Does it get sold um, in the stadium, or do they have? Is there? A, do you have any pouring it, rights there? Uh, at present, um, they've just got a new pouring rights deal with Heineken, um, which excludes anybody else. But you know, we'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll a, yeah, we'll have a chat with them <laughs> and see uh, see at, at some point whether they whether they let us in with that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I'd, it'd be be interested to see see whether they whether they see uh, you know a little local brewery beer is is a is a competitor for Foster's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so just a few quick fire questions to end. Then, um, what what's the biggest mistake you've made in brewing? Biggest mistake? Um, oh, it was uh, well one of the most fun ones was <laughs> was uh, was one afternoon well, actually early evening when I was uh, dry hopping one of the um, the 50 hectolitre uh, fermenters, so it, these, these are big tall vessels, mm. so I was up on the ladders there and this was in the early days, um, so we'd brewed the, the Pivo, uh, the Czech Pilsner, which we do dry hop, so I was dry hopping that through the top, so, so literally just dropping hop pellets into it. Um, of course, they, they act as like a nucleation point, the beer was fairly, fairly carbonated naturally from the fermentation, and so dropping all these hops in, all of a sudden all the CO2 <laughs> breaks out and it just starts gushing through the top of the vessel. It was just like spraying up. Now fortunately, it, when, it's, when it came down, it didn't, it didn't quite hit the ceiling and it didn't go over the wall and drown all the customers yeah. the other side. It just gave them a very, very impressive oh, show. So there were people um, in at the time as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a load, load of people sat down and, and, then, and then everyone's going like, whoa! <laughs> all this, all this beer, this this hop, hoppy carbonated foamy beer is Brilliant. flying all over the place, including me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, giving me a good drowning. So that was uh, that was that was quite uh, quite impressive. Don't hop that way anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who or what inspires you the most as far as brewing beer is concerned? Um, 
it may, may seem like a cop out, but um, just just this whole business. I mean, like I've been around for a long time, as, yeah. as we've already said in, in brewing, and it's it's a more exciting industry to be in now than at any point since I joined mm-hmm. it. Um, so you know, so there, there's. I can't pick on, on any one person because you don't know who's going to do the next most exciting thing. Yeah. Because there's all sorts of stuff going on. It's constantly developing. You know, I get, I, I'm, I'm constantly, um, you know, surprised and and sort of like great to see the innovations and particularly you know you look you look uh, you look at places like I don't know Portugal and Italy, places that have got wine heritage. And, and are doing sort of like beers that, that, that make the best use of that, that heritage, mm. use of the barrels, use, use of grape must and that sort of thing. Um, you know, d- development of, of, of new and different and hybrid styles, you've got all of that. Um, it, when I get asked to, to judge beer competitions and you're constantly seeing new styles coming yeah. onto the list and you think, my God, where's this going to end? Mm. Um, but it's like the brute type here that's kind of exploded, isn't it, from the, um, the West Coast to the yeah. States, you know? I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> What's a brew type yet? And then yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know where the IPA thing is going to end. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, 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 such a, it's such a lot of fun. It's mm. great, great to be involved in. Um, you know, I, I, I literally, if I didn't have a business to run, I could literally just spend, you know, all day, every day trying to come up with new recipes and yeah. that sort of thing, which, uh, which I'd, I'd love to have the opportunity to brew. So if, if, <coughs> if there was like an Amnesty brew day where you knew that, Everyone was going to buy the beer, and money was no object in terms of how much money you could throw at this beer. What would be the ideal beer that you could uh, you'd brew? Uh, I'll, I'll probably the, the the thing that we've not actually done on site here at all so far is barrel aging, right. and I really really want to get into into barrel aging. Um, you know, and it's yeah we, we ran out of money, so therefore I've not been able to 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 you know buy a bunch of barrels. And actually, one of the things I, I really want to do is brew a beer. Um, We've already got a name for it, we've got a recipe for it. Uh, I want to do it sort of like part steel and then part in a selection of different barrels. Right, okay. Um, to see, you know, essential and, and then and then package each of them, you know, hand bottle them so that you then you can then compare the right. effects of the different casks versus yeah. versus the natural beer straight nice. from steel. Um, and that would be essentially an eight point eight percent pale ale barley wine or something, yeah. um, October ale. So that will be. I don't know whether you can hear me over over that cask racking, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's. That, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to do that. Where do you see the beer industry going in the next five to ten years? Um, onwards and upwards. Uh, I, I think all, all this thing of, uh, of brewers take you know big brewers being bought out, big brewers taking over smaller brewers, potentially even even medium sized brewers. Pairing up and that's something we're not seeing much of that. But yeah. I, I, I think that there, w- there will be a bit of a trend for that as well. Mm. Um, How do you think they'll sort of pair up? Um, obviously, they'll have their it, own it, set it could, it could, so. Yeah, but it, it could be. It could have uh, you know distribution deals and right. you know, th- th- things that things that work for both. Mm. Uh, or you get two people who both both hit capacity and actually open maybe a third brewery as a, as a as a combined entity, so it can brew beers for both of them or whatever. Yeah. That I think there's all, all there's opportunity for all that sort of thing to happen, right. um, and uh, you know, new and different. Yeah. Um, there's 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 always room for that, um, but yeah. You know, so I, I think that yeah, you know, 
everyone will will have noticed that the that the that there's you know a new trend in in session beers and you know just drinkable beer and and slightly less. I mean, every, we we like we like extremes and we like wacky concepts and that sort of thing. But you know, no one likes beer that you just can't drink. Yeah. I mean, I, if you if if you give me if you give me a concept uh, that you know sort of like that sounds brilliant on paper, but you taste it and go, I don't even want a second mouthful. Then actually, why why is it? Why, why am I drinking it? Yeah. You know, why, why was it even brewed? Why has someone tried to sell a beer that is frankly undrinkable? Mm. You know, uh, and I do have a bit of a problem with that is, is that, you know, don't try and pull the wall over people's eyes. You know, give them, give them good beer. So last question then, what one piece of advice would you give to anybody either looking to start or to sort of hop forward in their own beer adventure? For people who, who are looking to start, I always tell them don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's busy enough as it is. Yeah. Uh, um, but no, seriously, um, brewing is exciting. Brewing is fun. It's a great industry, but make sure you get a handle on numbers. Yeah. Um, and what about for some more seasoned brewers? Maybe they want to take their businesses forward. Been doing it a while. You know, maybe stuck in a rut or whatever. Um, what advice would you give them to kind of push on into? I, I, I think, I think uh, constant innovation is is really important. I mean, uh, like keeping it fresh and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you've got to do that. And and even even you know looking at uh, existing beers, you know beers that have been successful for you. Just because something has been successful for you in the past doesn't necessarily mean it will in the future. Absolutely. Is there an opportunity to reinvent that beer? Mm. Can you tweak some of the ingredients in it? Can you you know sort of like play something up or down uh, do you do a variation on it if it's if it's a if it's a well-loved and cherished beer then do you say okay well let's let's play on that let's let's do a, a little bit of a twist of it mm. and so so it's got um, you know so it's got a, it's got a it's got a brother or sister brand sort of thing yeah um, so yeah keeping things fresh is, is also really important Brilliant. well thanks for your time today Alex it's been really interesting um, for people that want to find out more about Sentinel um, got a website um, sentinelbrewing.co um, and uh, yeah come down come and see us um, really close to the station here in Sheffield so uh, definitely worth a visit <coughs> um, but check yeah check us out on social media we're on, we're on all the main social media um, lots of events on I've uh, got some exciting things coming up so we've got collaboration beer the Sheffield Brewers collaboration beer uh, the, the New England IPA um, which is uh, it's a Passion fruit and mango uh, bomb, uh, even even though it's just four four and a half, but it's got a great drinkability. Uh, so we'll be uh, we've got that coming up. Um, we've got our low alcohol beer. Um, we're doing IPA day here, which will will have a bunch of our uh, rarities IPAs that we that are no longer in circulation, like last cask or mm. last keg jobs, uh, along with some of our favourite ever IPAs from around the world. Happy days. Um, and and match with food so all that sort of stuff brilliant great thanks very much brilliant well i hope you enjoyed the interview with alex barlow from central brewing co as much as i enjoyed interviewing him i learned an absolute shed load from him and um i just found him good to be around and i enjoyed seeing the brew kit in action i went to do a collaboration with him and a couple of the brewers in sheffield um, and with heist craft who were doing a charity beer um, called Bangers and Clash of the Titans which was um, for a, the Bangers and uh, Clash race to Monte Carlo is that what it was called? something like that um, 
But anyway, um, yeah, make sure you check out hotford.beer. Um, sign up to all our social media gubbins. Um, find me a home in Pigeon or send me a message in a bottle or something if you want to chat. And can't wait to share next week's episode with you. Next week, me and my partner in crime, Paddy Spencer, went up to Dark City at Northern Monk in Leeds. And I'm so looking forward to sharing with you that on-location recording of me and him chatting shit. So, hotforward.beer, I'll see you next time. And crack open a beer and enjoy the rest of your day. Unless you're listening to this on your commute to work, you have to wait until the afternoon. Well, you don't have to wait until the afternoon, but, you know...